and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How is everybody doing? I think between new COVID variants and stormy weather, it's a bit of a tough week for a lot of people, but hopefully you are all doing okay and you're able to enjoy your horses at the moment still. Our interview this week is with the international Grand Prix winner, Lara Butler. She talks about training horses for longevity in dressage, why her nearest Grand Prix star is something special and the build-up to the London International Horse Show. I've done a few indoors, but not so big ones, you know, like London is such a huge one, isn't it? Especially in front of a home crowd, which is always nice, but slightly daunting. (laughs) I'll be chatting to our news team about the Horse and Hound Awards, changes in entry and membership fees at British Eventing and ways to prevent tack theft. Finally, trainer Joseph Webb will give his insight on tacking up young horses. Now this process is the process of desensitising. Think of the differences between predator and prey. A predator will move to, a prey animal will move away. And that's sort of where I want to be as an introduction. So zip up your boots, let's get started. Hello, I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm here today with one of Britain's very successful international Grand Prix dressage riders, Lara Butler. Lara grew up with horses and has ridden for the Bechtelsheimer family now for over 10 years. In that time, she has been hugely successful on the international Grand Prix circuit, being named as reserve for the British senior team on four occasions, including travelling reserve for the Rio Olympics in 2016 with the wonderful Ruben Al-Assad. Ruben Al-Assad, aka Rufus, was retired from competition earlier this year, but 2021 has still been a fantastic year for Lara and her current top horse, Christian. They competed in Arken as part of the third place British Nations Cup team in September and also recently enjoyed a fabulous double win at Kiso CDI in October. Hi Lara, how are you doing? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Um, So we've actually chatted a little bit more recently about your win at Kiso with Christian and I just wondered if you could tell us um, a little bit about him as a horse because you've had such a successful season with him and I know he's quite a character, isn't he? Uh, yes, he certainly is. <laughs> so his actual nickname is Silly Sausage. Um, so, yeah, as that, I think the name suggests it all. But I've ridden him now since I think he was six. So we have a very good relationship with each other. But he and he's been a bit of a challenge along the way. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah, he's now he's now coming flourishing in his uh, slightly older age. <laughs> yes, because he's he's sixteen. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And he has sort of only really this year really stepped up to the mantle as being your top horse since you retired lovely Rufus. But I imagine he's really enjoying being in the spotlight now. Oh, he absolutely loves it. Yeah, bless him. Um, Obviously, Rufus was a very special horse that um, kept going. So, yeah, Christian had to sort of be his little follower around. But, yeah, now he's top dog and you definitely know it. He... He's in his stable, squeaking around, you know, and, you know, when I go off with the, uh, one of the other horses to a competition, he's just staring me down until uh, I come back. And he's like, what? Why didn't you take me? <laughs> oh, that's nice that he sort of loves competing so much, though. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's a show off. 
Oh, so lovely to hear. We recently featured him um, in our Spotlight series in the magazine. And um, I had a really lovely chat with your groom, Tom, who was telling me about some of his funny habits in the stable, like uh, throwing his rugs around and generally showing off a bit of a, a bit of a sense of humour. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He's literally, he's like a three-year-old. Like, he's just, <laughs> he's such a character. You can't leave him for two seconds. He's pulled something off or done something. <laughs> Oh, I think they're some of sometimes they are the most uh, well interesting horses to be around. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah, and definitely. <laughs> you had such great success at Kiso recently with him, and he's he's obviously just continues to improve, even even though he's getting on a little bit in years. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's taken. Um, he doesn't really have like the classical body for dressage, um, so okay. it's taken us a while to you know build build all the strength up in him. Um, and I think, yeah, now he's he's sort of flourishing. Um, obviously, I worked a lot with um, Dr. Uh, Bechtelsheimer. Like, mm. he, he kind of got us to Grand Prix. And now, um, obviously, we have Carl Kuipers, who is our trainer. And he's just, like, he's pushed us and pushed us. And, like, we've now entered into this, like, different level, which is really nice. And that was what showed, I think, at Kiso. Yeah, definitely. You said that your uh, your Grand Prix special from Kiso was was one of the best, if not the best, test you'd ever you'd ever ridden, which is nice yeah. to hear. So Rufus obviously retired at the grand old age of eighteen, and with Christian coming up behind um, a few years younger, you seem to have quite a lot of experience in um, keeping these slightly older horses going at a really high level, and certainly not looking their age at all. How does the management of horses who are sort of in their mid to late teens change compared to when they're younger? How have you found that? To be honest, we've been really lucky. And I said, and I think you have to, I think every horse, like you have to treat every horse as the same. They're all the athletes and we all want them to last as long as possible. Um, mm. I'm very lucky. Like the philosophy at the bees is like not to push them, you know, too fast, too, too hard. And we just take our time with them and we seem to just breed giants as well. So, um, so, so obviously Christians are homebred and, uh, so they're all, they, they all seem to just need that little bit of extra time to like grow into their bodies. Um, mm. And then, yeah, we just sort of protect them a bit. And like with the, like say with the older ones, they, they know what they're doing. So we don't have to like train and train and train them. We can, you know, allow their bodies to rest after the competitions, like after Arkan, and then sort of pick him straight back up again. And I guess I also find like the older they are, the more, you know, you get to know them inside and out. So, you know, when there's something that needs like a little tweak here and there, and I guess all those little that extra time with them like, yeah. then allows us to gain even more time with them, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, of course. And and you've had such a long, as you mentioned, such a long partnership with Christian now. And, um, and you did with Rufus as well. You rode him since he was a young horse. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you said, building up such a great bond and knowing them inside out, yeah, must really, really help with sort of prolonging their, their career and keeping them in tip top shape for as long as possible yeah what so when you're schooling um christian and when you were sort of working rufus in his last few years competing what kind of thing would you be doing at home in training um you know focusing on you obviously wouldn't be training the grand prix movements really really heavily or really often is there a lot of hacking is it a lot of gymnastic work how would a, a sort of a schooling session look for a horse that is perhaps a little bit older um yeah so we yeah we try and do as much variety as possible obviously now um like we're coming into winter now so it's a little bit difficult more difficult mm. to hack um 
because of just well we can't hat around the roads with us um unfortunately laura can which is great for her horses but um, of course she's moved just down the road to a to a different yard is that right yeah, so she's moved um, just to Tetbury, so it's only about half an hour down the road. Um, I say down the road, but <laughs> yeah, um, so and she's really lucky. She's got great hacking that she can go on the roads, which is another thing that I think is great for dressage horses as well, is to get on a different surface. But we, I mean, we're very lucky we can hack around our fields here as well, um, but just in the winter, it makes it more, a bit more of a challenge. Um, but then we start doing a little bit more like pole work and, and things like that. Um, not jumping, I might add, because I'm not a jumper. Um, but you know some cavaletti work and um, things like that that just help strengthen them as well as like just keep their mind a bit occupied like Christian is one that he has to he's he's so intelligent that he he needs something to occupy his brain like all the time otherwise he starts getting bored and that's when he starts to try and injure himself which is fun (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh has the sort of management of him you know the way you work with him is that quite similar to how you worked with Rufus when he was a similar age or does he sort of demand something quite different in his training Yes and no. Like I'd say they're similar in the sense that it's all the, you know, the, the standard suppling work and things like that. Um, but Rufus was a little bit easier to take out for like a canter and things like mm. that, just because Christian's cheekiness comes out of tr- sometimes, you know, with a buck and things like that. Whereas <laughs> and that and he got quite a big buck when he wants to. Um, <laughs> oh, whereas Rufus, I don't think even knew how to buck, bless him. <laughs> um but, you know, the other things, you know, like the same thing, I don't have to do movement after movement with them. It's more about keeping their reactions. I mean, they're very different horses to ride as well, but it's mm. the same principle that I want the reaction to be quick enough and uh, just keeping them soft and supple over their backs because bless them. I mean, Rufus had a previous injury before I started riding him. So he was always a little bit tricky to keep soft in his back. Hence why I always had a slightly different saddle on uh, than any of the others. Oh. Uh, and then um, Christian you know he needs to be a bit more supple in his uh, kept supple in his joints and everything whereas Rufus um, naturally found it easier to like bounce along like he was a much more bouncy horse Um, Mm. but it was the same principle they need to be kept supple Mm. (laughs) for different reasons (laughs) yeah no of course and I imagine there might be a lot of people listening who perhaps do have a slightly older horse maybe not at Grand Prix level but but at any level and might be wondering you know how they can try to prolong their career and keep them healthy and keep them you know really not feeling their age for as long as possible and don't get me wrong we use we use some joint supplements as well (laughs) (laughs) that's absolutely fair enough it sounds as though variety is really a, a really key tip to keeping these horses really fresh as well because it's about being fresh in their minds as well as in their bodies right yeah definitely yeah the older horse they 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 know their job so it's yeah it's about keeping them it's still interested in their job and wanting them to do the best that they can as well Absolutely. And so moving on from the slightly older uh, horses to one of your upcoming stars, you have uh, Amiek coming up through, well, he's come up through the levels and recently debuted at Grand Prix. Is that right? He has, yes. Yeah. That's very exciting. Tell us a little bit about him, his background um, and what he's like as a horse. Um, so yeah, so Ampi, um, oh, sorry, yeah, Ampi is his stable name, which is slightly easier to say. Um <laughs> So I've had him since he was three years old. I co-own him with Anne Hutton, who has been a long, long-term long supporter of me. But, um, she's known me since I've been bombing around on ponies. Oh, um, lovely. 
So yeah, I've had him since he was three and he's now 11. Been another long road with him, but he is so talented, but so like his intelligence is on a, is on another level. Um, mm-hmm. He's by Ampere. So um, I'm sure if anyone has come across an Ampere, they know that they're potentially not the easiest characters in the world, but the most, they, they are very, very talented. Um, mm-hmm. So we've had to nurture that talent along. You know, I'll fully admit he is... Uh, scared me along the way. He has oh, put me really? on the floor a few times. Um, oh gosh! What does but, he do? Oh, he's so he's he's got so much power. He just if he wants to, he just used to launch up into the air and and keep going. Oh, I've never gosh. seen a horse get quite so high in my life. But he, um, <laughs> but we've managed to you know curb all that power into into the moves that he can do. It's funny actually for the Grand Prix. I actually hadn't planned it. I had obviously. In my mind, I, I wanted to do one, but I hadn't mm. actually planned it. And I'd ridden him like in the morning. And then what the other rider here, Sarah Rogers, she she was going off to uh, the competition with another horse. And um, she was like, oh, come on, just just to see if they have a late entry spot. So I rang them and they were like, yeah, yeah, the judge said it's absolutely fine. So off I went the next day. Like, And I think that was the best planning for me because otherwise I think I would have been you know because he's my own horse and yeah. I've spent a long time like getting him here I was I would have overthought it I'm sure and then <laughs> ridden like oh so um but yeah I've had a lot of help with him along the way I will admit that <laughs> well I think that is absolutely fair enough and of course I did want to talk about the role that you've had with the Batzelsheimers for a number of years now it must be just an incredible um an incredible place to be based and obviously you've had a really wonderful time working with them how did that come about in the first place so basically I've I've known the Betrosheimers since um I was on a I was on the junior team and Laura was on her young rider team back in 2014 I believe no 2004 sorry yeah oh, oh, I'm thinking I'm younger than I am um, <laughs> and uh so yeah so I met the I met the family then and um I then went to the nationals um the year that I just finished university and I happened to Laura was competing Andretti H and Mrs B was on the side watching her and uh, we got chatting she happened to ask what I was doing with my life and I said oh funnily enough I've just finished university but um, I want to take a year out and just focus on the horses because I've always done my uh, like education alongside the horses and um, yeah about two weeks later I got a phone call offering uh, me to come for a job interview uh, for the rider here and um sort of it's kind of gone on from there i went for my job interview and i rode i funnily enough i actually rode rufus and christian um, oh did you <laughs> yeah and um I, I remember sitting on rufus thinking i've never sat on anything so sharp in my life <laughs> he was crazy <laughs> off the leg i was like oh my goodness um, <laughs> good test though i imagine <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and yeah it kind of went it went from there they offered me the job and I jumped at it um and originally it was actually a non-competing job so I went there as just the just the stable jockey and it's sort of developed from there wow well it certainly developed into a really (laughs) wonderful dressage career for you it must be amazing to look back and and sort of think how far you've come yeah definitely I mean They've provided so many opportunities for me and I'm so, so grateful to them. You know, Laura's support, even, you know, Laura's on her fourth child now. Mm. Um, but even, you know, when she's like, when she's riding, she's there supporting me. When she's on the ground, she's supporting me. Um, 
and yeah to think like it's crazy like 11 years and how I started and now how I am now and yeah it's a crazy crazy journey I can imagine and of course you have had um, an addition to your family as well you you had baby Jack was it in 2019 Yes. Yeah. April, 2019. Yeah. Okay. How has it been in the sort of time since then competing and juggling um, dressage with a little one? Obviously 2020 was, uh, was a bit of a strange year, but now you've, you've, you've been pretty busy in 2021, haven't you? How has it been sort of juggling that with, with looking after him? It's, it's been different. Um, mm. I mean, I'm very lucky. My husband is very supportive. <laughs> um, at the beginning, obviously, when he was a baby baby, he came he came with us to the shows because um, mm. uh, I was like, at the very beginning, I was obviously breastfeeding and everything. So, yeah, he came with us. But now he's older and um, he goes to nursery. So we don't want to sort of interrupt his routine too much. So he stays at home um, mm. and I'm going competing, but he's two and a half now. And I would say it's getting quite hard to leave him now because he's, he's getting more aware that I'm leaving. And yeah. and he's always uh, like, I got back from um, the last show at Kiso and he said to me, he was like, mama ride Nene's too much. I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, don't break my heart. Um, oh no. <laughs> but yeah. Usually once I'm away, I'm okay. But yeah, it's, it's, it's hard leaving them behind. Um, mm. but you know, he's happy. He's, he stays with grandparents and his, and his dad. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely changes your mindset and then gives you something else to focus on as well and it you know what it's nice sometimes you know when shows don't go well which is yeah. you know sometimes happens it's nice to come home to him <laughs> it makes it a bit yeah. better <laughs> yeah I've heard several riders say that actually it really puts things in perspective and of course they don't know you know what might have gone wrong or, or whether it's important or not and um I guess it can be really nice to come back to to somebody who really doesn't mind what might have happened or, or not exactly. happened at the show. <laughs> exactly. So we are coming to the end of 2021 now. Um, and as we mentioned, you've had a pretty busy and successful season. What's in store for next year? I know you've got something um, exciting coming up in, uh, well, in a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah, we're heading off to the new London, mm. uh, London XL. So it'll be very interesting to see... Um, what they've done there instead of Olympia. But I'm excited to see. Um, yeah. I'm not excited about the journey in, but I'm excited <laughs> to see the show and how they've, you know, used all that space that they're going to have. And you're riding Christian there, is that right? I am, yeah. I'll yes. be riding Christian. Um, so that'll be a big test for him because he's not... I've done a few indoors, but not... Um, not so big ones you know like yeah London, London is such a huge one isn't it especially in front of a home crowd which is always nice but slightly daunting <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah next year hopefully back out um we'll have a little bit of a break over winter which will be nice you know and, and then back out maybe like February March I'm probably mm. going to wait a little bit for the return of Laura as well we'll be hitting the scene um <laughs> And yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, going for a place for the World Equestrian Games, I believe it is, in Herning. Wow, so exciting. It's sort of non-stop, isn't it? We have, uh, we've had two championships next uh, this year and we're already looking ahead to the next ones. <laughs> oh, I know it is. It's crazy, isn't it? I think as a dressage sport, we just don't stop. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, exactly. We don't stop in the winter. It all keeps going. Um, and I wanted to ask you, actually, you've been you've been reserve for the British team on on quite a few occasions. I think it was three years in a row, wasn't it, with with Rufus in yeah. 2016, 17 and 18. Does that make you even more determined to you know get that place on a team having been so close so many times? Yeah, no, definitely. I would say I'm getting used to it now, but <laughs> yeah, every year I strive. You know, it's hard. We, it, it's hard, but in a good way. It's hard because we've got so many, so many of us um, that are campaigning that are good. So it, it's mm. really good for the sport, but it's, yeah, it makes it pretty tough to get into the team these days. But yeah, I think it just, yeah, every year I'm like, right, I'm gonna do it this year, <laughs> and um, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But. Mm. It certainly certainly shaped me over the years. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it has. And it must be really exciting knowing that obviously you have you have Christian doing so well and on such good form at the moment, but you have Ampi coming up behind him already having made an impact in his first Grand Prix and, and looking really exciting for the years to come as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he. Um, well, I did a couple of small tour shows with him last year and he, he certainly made an impact. Um, the judges were quite taken by him um so yeah I'm really excited to step him up obviously I've taken a bit longer to make the jump into big tour but that's partly you know giving him him a bit more time to get the confidence and then I kind of want to come out with a bit of a bang um mm. which I feel I have nationally which is good um and he did actually surprise me um <laughs> but uh yeah and then yeah I will campaign him a bit next year um but probably a bit more at the lower key ones and then we will see. But yeah, he like I've got an exciting little string, which is nice. Mm, definitely. And what about younger horses? Do you have any exciting younger horses that uh, that you're particularly looking forward to to getting out and about? Um, so I've got um, I'm riding a horse called Bodie Miller at the moment. Um, another one of the Betrosheimer's homebreds. And I think the plan will be to do hopefully some small tour with him next year. OK. How old is he? He is, he will be eight next year. So he's seven. Yeah. Um, and maybe the young horse, um, pre-St. George classes that are, go on in Germany mm-hmm. um, will be his sort of aim. But he's a cool horse. He's by Bordeaux. It's the same as Laura's top one. And he's got a lot, a lot of talent. So hopefully, yeah, he will be campaigned a bit at Small Tour next year. And that will be exciting. And then I also ride another another homebred. We've got a lot of homebreds at the moment. Uh, he's a grey horse uh, called Vincent. Um, okay. And he is just, I've had him out at advanced medium, but the changes are um, a little tricky on him, but he actually knows everything up to Grand Prix. So I just, I'm going to work away over the winter yeah. at the changes. And yeah, he's another one that could be, could be very, very exciting. He's, um, he's by Vivaldi and he is 10 years old. Okay. So um, he's, he's still got some time, you know, in my, you know, I don't like to bring them out till they're about 15, mm. do I? So <laughs> <laughs> a few years yet so no, but he's, uh, he's another one that could be very very talented so yeah we're very lucky and we've got um a few five-year-olds that are coming through now so yeah busy busy very exciting well lara thank you so much for coming on the horse and hound podcast today it's been great to hear about your lovely string of horses and we can't wait to see you out and about well in a couple of weeks at london international and into 2022 as well yeah thank you for having me
So I'm joined today by two members of our news team. First of all, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Well, more, more to the point, how are you? You've had a lovely week off, have you? I have had a week off. Yes, I was in Ireland last week. Actually, had the opportunity to go to the Horse Sport Ireland Athlete Reception. They sort of honour their under-21 teams who had done particularly well with medals this year. And um, also sort of their Tokyo athletes were, were called forward and, and interviewed. And my husband was actually the, the compere for the event, the MC. So that was why I, I was basically just tagging along as a plus one. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a really nice event and then had a few days holiday in Ireland. So yeah, it was a nice week off. Thank you. Good. And riding? You got to ride your pony? Yeah, actually, I was a bit disappointed because of the weekend at the beginning of the week, we went to a dressage competition on Saturday and a show jumping competition on Sunday and uh, came away with three rosettes. He got a rosette for mum in dressage on Saturday and jumped two clears show jumping on Sunday, which was miraculous and somewhat surprising. And so I was a bit so I was a bit miffed that I wasn't on the podcast last week and I didn't get to like boast about my rosette prowess. <laughs> so I'm glad you asked. So I got to bring it up this week, Eleanor. <laughs> Too right. We all, all love a rosette. <laughs> Uh, well, yes. Thank you for asking. We also have with us our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are you doing, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you, Pippa. I've been, um, it's gone so cold, I've been making mulled wine in my slow cooker. So um, yeah, <laughs> trying to keep things warm. Um, it's this, I don't know where it came from. It is the most hideous orange thing, but it, my goodness, it is useful. About once a year, I tell myself, uh, I throw a load of uh, meat and vegetables into it and go out riding for the day and come back to this wonderful, you know, hot stew meal and think, goodness, I'm going to do this every time. Never mm. happens. Um, but <laughs> it, it really does come into its own around Christmas. Mulled wine is so much better though than <laughs> meat and vegetables. <laughs> yeah, and I was just as delighted to come in and find that that had been sort of bubbling away for, for hours as well, to be honest. <laughs> well, it has been chilly and I was hoping to have our the third member of our, of our news team, Becky Murray, on the podcast today. But regular listeners will know that Becky is Scottish and therefore she has no power. So um, poor Becky is, I think, basically battling to stay alive rather than doing any work this week. Bless her. So our thoughts go out to you, Becky. Please come back soon. <laughs> right. Well, it's good to have Lucy and Eleanor on. And we're all actually going to be seeing each other in person this week at the Horse and Hand Awards in partnership with NAF. We're recording this at the start of the week. But by the time you listen, those awards will have taken place at Cheltenham Racecourse. There are 13 fantastic winners crowned. And I want to talk about just a couple of those winners on this week's podcast. Eleanor, who has caught your eye this year among the, the award winners? Well, a couple, I have to uh, talk about the winner of the NAF Five Star Magic Moment of the Year 2021 because it, it definitely was the moment of the year for me, which was Ben Mayer winning his individual Olympic gold in Tokyo. And, you know, I hate to think how he felt because I felt like I'd just won a marathon when he crossed the finish line. And it was just absolutely superb. And to go into those games with all the pressure because everyone expected him to win it and to go in with all that pressure and pull it out of the bag was just absolutely phenomenal. And and then of course, um, related to that is our horse of the Bloomfield's horse of the year winner, which was the amazing Explosion W, who if ever there was a horse uh, I would like to have a chance to ride, it would be him all day long. So those two were very special. But I'd also really like to mention our lovely Stallion AI Services Pony of the Year award winner, which was Phoenix, who bless him, we, we were covering his very, very sad story from the start. He um, suffered very, very bad burns in a stable fire that was thought to have been started deliberately. Um, and another young horse died in the fire and he went to Red Wings Horse Sanctuary. They 
did their absolute absolute best to to save him but it, it it turned out he had to have an operation and you know that was the only option for his future welfare and sadly he didn't survive but I think he touched a lot of hearts and it is very it's lovely that our readers have voted him to win this award. Mm, and actually, he's been put onto the shortlist in the discussions we had about the shortlist. And uh, we then heard that he had very sadly died. And we were like, oh, what should we do? Should we take him off the shortlist? But it felt like the appropriate thing to to keep him on that list and sort of honour his memory and highlight the, the plight of horses in, 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 in a lot of situations in welfare centres and the wonderful work that Red Wings and, and other sanctuaries do. So and, and he was a a strong winner in that in that pony category thank you Eleanor Lucy what about you who are your big winners well I was delighted to see Lauren Ince receive the Pecure Amateur of the Year award she's she's so talented but she's so dedicated as well and she works really really hard uh, not just you know producing that horse to the top level but doing that alongside her career as well and to me I mean She's a friend, but she really does embody the Corinthian amateur spirit with her with her love of the sport um, and of the horse and matched all of that by, you know, her high standards in, as a competitor and as a rider and as a horsewoman. It was, yeah, it was really exciting to see her finish third at Blair this year. And, you know, she's competed at Blenheim and things as well. And she really is. She's a true amateur in that she does have a full time job and this is this is her hobby, but she does it extremely, extremely well to a very, very high standard. So I think, yeah, everyone's would be delighted to see her take that trophy home and also I wanted to give a mention to the Denji Volunteer of the Year Award because our sport I mean and people say this all the time but it's true it just it wouldn't happen without the volunteers and I was really really lucky enough to speak to speak to the shortlisted candidates for the um, for the awards launch that we did and hear their stories and um, just to hear about how much they put into the sport and again uh, coming back to, to the love of the sport which I think is you know why we all do it why we're all involved in it um, Adrian Big was the hugely deserving winner of that award in recognition of the work that he's done in and protecting rights of way which is something that benefits or has benefited so many riders since he's been doing it so many rides today and will continue to benefit so many riders in years and years to come Mm, and Lucy, I'm really glad you mentioned Lauren there because actually I'm hoping to get her on the podcast in January and find out a bit more about how she manages to juggle her work and her riding. I haven't told her that yet because she doesn't know she's the winner yet at the point when we're recording this, but <laughs> I'm hoping I'm going to nobble her at the awards this week and uh, ask her to come and be a guest at the beginning of next year. Who else stood out to you, Pippa? Uh, well, um, I was just looking down the list, actually, and uh, Tom McEwen, our UVEX Helmets Professional Rider of the Year. Delighted to see Tom take that after leading the eventing team to the gold in Tokyo. And of course, the individual silver medalist himself moving up from 12th after dressage. He's uh, a rider that I've known for, for a long time since he was sort of a kid riding at the Pony Club Championships. And he's just such a good rider under pressure. He, he loves it. Um, you know, he said he'd sort of jump with that pressure every day of the week. It's really why he gets up in the morning and that that temperament stands him in such good stead. He's such a relaxed rider. I remember the World Equestrian Games a couple of years ago. I was asking about his cross country and he said, yeah, well, I lost my whip beforehand and I had to borrow one from Gemma Tattersall. <laughs> and he's just looking a bit vague while this whole conversation is going on. He's like, I had to borrow a whip from Gemma Tattersall, <laughs> but it was a bit pink. So I was trying to keep my hand on it to cover up the pink bits. And I was like, Tom, you're riding around a World Championship course with a gold medal at stake and you're worrying about covering up the pink bits on the whip. <laughs> 
Brilliant. So yeah, that was good work. Um, good work by Tom and uh, really pleased to see him taking that UVX Helmets Professional Rider title. Um, also a quick shout out to Dickie Waygood, um, the uh, British sort of master guru, leader of everything in Tokyo for the equestrian team as we gave him a special outstanding contribution award. It wasn't an award that was on the list or voted. It was just something we felt he deserved for leading all three British squads to medals in that outstanding set of results at the Olympics. So great to see Dickie picking that up as well. Well, there are so many deserving winners at those Horse and Hand Awards run in partnership with NAF. And of course, you can read more about them in the magazine next week, the 9th of December issue. But aside from the awards, there is a lot going on in the horse world, as always. Lucy, you listened into the BEAGM last week. You've been writing that up and covering it for us. What were the main points coming out of that meeting? Well, there's a lot to come out of it, actually, Pippa. Um, So to boil it down right into a nutshell, the biggest thing is that BE is doing what it can, uh, seeking to reverse declining membership numbers. So Helen West, the new chief executive, announced a shakeup of the membership structure there with the aim of providing better value for for members, really. This will mean that the lowest level riders are going to pay significantly less in their renewals, uh, while it will increase slightly at the higher levels. Um, she gave a bit of explanation around that and um, and what's to come in future as well. But looking at the here and now, BE's had a 24% reduction in competing membership and a 27% reduction in runners in the past six years. And in that same time frame, the average percentage of the membership that never competes above BE 100 is 72%. So that's why they're really focusing on that low level market at the moment. Um, and the reason why it's important is because B's main income comes from membership fees. Um, obviously, it's had a few tough years, as you know, the world has with the pandemic and things and other things going on as well. So it really is important that it it focuses on on regrowing that at the moment um, for the good of the whole sport. Uh, we also heard how profits from badminton and Burley are going to be put into rebuilding the reserves pot which has been run down um, instead of being used as operational income there's also as I kind of hinted at at the start there more announcements to come around how um, BE intends to to take a look at you know those high level amateur one horse amateurs and things so they're getting value for money but at the moment the big takeaways are uh, the real real grassroots are going to be paying less uh, the higher levels are going to be paying slightly more and BE really is trying to do what it can to um, to reverse that decline in numbers. Mm, and win those those members back from the unaffiliated market, mm, which yeah. I think is such a big challenge. And of course, since the AGM, I think it's worth highlighting that there's been an, an email gone out to members setting out the proposal for removing the abandonment insurance um, at events. Lucy, can you give us a quick overview of that proposal? I say quick, these things are never simple, are they? Can you give us an overview of that proposal? I can. And actually, Piva, when I knew we were going to be talking about this, I started thinking like, gosh, oh, it's, you know, it's quite a big, big document and all those points and things. And then I thought, how can I actually sum this up in, you know, less than 30 words basically BE is looking to scrap it um, because they say it doesn't offer value for money and they're looking to replace it with a sliding scale refund policy so that is the real essential about what you need to know if you are a competing member and wondering how this is going to affect you next year so they've um, they've spoke they've discussed this at length with the eventing riders of Great Britain uh, including rider working groups and the event horse owners association um, who are supportive of it so BE says 
the way they've looked at them at the numbers is that you'll save 15.1% on every entry and by the time you've entered your seventh event you're going to be better off without it I mean it certainly sparked debate online and as we all know with statistics some people that will be absolutely true some people it'll be you know better than that but you know there's also going to be people people the well the other side of that line and yeah there's quite a mixed reaction to be honest coming out from organizers and um and riders and things so yeah it's uh, going to be an interesting one Mm, it's a really tricky one isn't it I had six events in a row abandoned or cancelled um, that I'd entered with my horse but I think it's worth making the point that this is only about abandonments that come about because of wet weather basically isn't it Lucy yeah. if your yeah. event is cancelled because there aren't enough entries you will get a refund still um, and I didn't lose six events to the weather to be clear I probably lost three or four to the weather and then maybe one to entries and a couple to COVID and different things apply in different situations so I'm sort of going oh god like I would have lost all that money but as you say there is that statistical point that if you enter seven events you will be better off and um, it's a really tricky one and of course B did send out that survey to members about this and presumably this response has come out of that survey and you're never going to get a a universal opinion are you there's always mm. going to be some people who agree with these things and some people who would say oh I'd rather keep the keep the insurance pay a bit more each time but be more sure of, of getting more money refunded yeah it's true isn't it it is is interesting and we know I mean obviously as this podcast has been recorded earlier in the week that B was also again seeking feedback on this this week so I'll be interested to see what comes out of that I'll also be interested to see if you know there is a pocket of the insurance market that pops up to to cover this if that's even viable in in itself if there's any way of riders being able to self-insure in other ways um, or events insure in other ways or if that's just an absolute not possible to happen um, I think it's going to affect different events in different ways depending on how those events are run what area of the country they're in what their grounds like what dates they have in the calendar and again all of that comes down to you know the calendar isn't just a free-for-all either that's all set by British Eventing too so it's one to watch and I'm sure we're going to be covering it uh, quite a lot um, as developments progress in in the coming months. Mm, and there is the opportunity for organisers to offer more money back than the mm. sort of minimums that B is setting and whether they do that out of their own pockets or as you say they get an insurance policy and I don't know whether as riders we could go seek an insurance policy in a way mm. to ensure our own entry fees it's a um, yeah a big a big and a big and difficult one and um, B certainly won't be able to please everybody with it but as you say we'll be following along and keeping up with everything there thank you very much Lucy for for going through that with us Eleanor, I'm coming to you now. We have a story about tack theft in Horse and Hound magazine this week. What has been the spur for this story? Yeah, so people may have seen this on, on social media, but at the Kiso Winter Classic, which was at the beginning of November, um, thieves broke into a number of uh, lorry tack lockers overnight and stole a number of saddles. Um, and of course, people have been appealing for information and some of the people affected said that they had trackers fitted to their saddles. And we thought, oh, we will we will look into them. Yeah, interesting. So, you, as you say, you decided to look into those. We've we've been taking a look at lots of different ways in trying to prevent theft. What sort of options are out there for people? 
Yeah, so as we went into into depth about the different options that are available for people. I mean, one of the people we spoke to who had um, four Devaku saddles stolen from their locker while they were asleep in their lorry, which must have been horrific. Um, they've bought an alarm for their tack locker that runs off solar panels. So so that is an option. Um, other measures include you can have your tack postcode stamped, uh, trackers, microchipping and micro dots. Um, and a number of different security experts have sort of talked through the pros and cons of each uh, system with us so there are trackers which can help but then people may find a way of blocking them postcode stamping actually which may be sort of you know quite a relatively old-fashioned method they're saying that is still useful because that's not something that can be taken off although of course if you buy a second-hand saddle uh, you have to consider that um, these micro dots micro dot technology is where they paint these little dots onto a saddle and I'm not technologically minded enough to know exactly how it works um, but you can put these micro dots on your saddle and then uh, that register them with the police and then the police can identify them you can chip your saddle and register them with farm key or data tag you can register your tech with a, a the police national mobile property register and then of course looking at the lorries themselves maybe you can look at installing alarms or cameras changing the locks because apparently they could be quite generic and um, so it might be worth changing the locks on your on your tech locker as well Okay, well, there's lots of options out there, as you say, if uh, you want to, to do something to try to, to keep your tax safe. Thank you, Eleanor, for running us through that and to Lucy for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, I'm going to talk about putting tack on your horse. So with young horses, I start with putting a roller on first. Now this process is, is a process of desensitising and by now my horse should be coming, becoming pretty familiar with me being around them. I've used flexions. They're comfortable with a bridle being on. They're starting to lunge. And they're, they're familiar with contact. So the next phase is getting them used to a saddle pad. So for that, I like to introduce the saddle pad almost as a, as a rub or as a, as a reward. So I bring that up to them and I like to give them a little sniff and a rub down the, down the side of the, of the head and onto the neck and then over the body. And I, I make it really comfortable, like I'm giving them a pat and saying, well done, and just rubbing them down with a saddle pad. And most horses are usually pretty comfortable with this. Um, and particularly once you've got it on them and they've, 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 had a, they've had a bit of a feel of it. If your horse is really worried about something, then it's a good idea to go through the desensitizing process. So the first part of a desensitizing process is to move away with whatever it might be that they're worried about in your hand. So I just lead them around with a saddle pad and I might just move the saddle pad around and get them familiar with me carrying it and moving it around now the reason i like to lead or move away from the horse while i'm familiarizing them is it's because 
it's the least confrontational way to introduce it. Think of the differences between predator and prey. A predator will move to, a prey animal will move away. And that's sort of where I want to be as an introduction. Once they're, they're sort of starting to settle with me, I like to make contact with my own hand, which they're used to, whilst I'm carrying the object in the other hand. And I'm keeping myself between that object and, and where I am, just rubbing them. And I stick to the shoulder. Always be careful and be mindful of your horse's ear when you're desensitizing. If that ear locks onto, onto the object that you're trying to get them familiar with, then they're really worried. And one false move there can create a, a fight or flight response. So that ear and that eye are really important in terms of gauging whether your horse is worried about something or not. So if you've given your horse a rub and they, they feel pretty fine with that, then I will move both sides of my horse. And then I'll just, from, from rub the contact, I'll bring the saddle pad, in this case, onto them and get that onto their body. Once the horse feels the saddle pad and you can rub them with it, they'll very quickly just go and breathe and relax and, and become familiar with it. And I just like to repeat that process. So once we can move around and rub our horse all over, you'll our horse will start to develop a little bit of trust in, in things that we have. And when I bring the roller in, it won't seem like a, an object to be worried about. And particularly if I'm smooth in the way I move and I keep making contact with my hand, these things are all really important. Um, but before I put the roller on, I like to do some rope work with my horse. So I make sure that my horse is, is comfortable with, with the rope um, around their belly. So I use a, a long lead rope. So I've got enough lead rope that I can throw over my horse's back. And again, this is an important part of the process of starting horses for me. The act of throwing a, throwing a rope or getting my horse familiar with something going over their back is setting them up not just for the saddle and also for me. So I pop the rope over the back and if I'm clever enough, I'll throw it out wide enough that it swings under their belly and I catch it under their belly. And then I'll get them, I'll bring the rope up and I'll make a, a makeshift sort of girth out of it with my hand. So I'll join the two ends together and just put a little bit of pressure around my horse's girth. And I'll do that, undo, walk them around, and I'll just repeat that process till they've felt something around their girth and they're starting to realize, actually, it's fine. It goes on, it comes off, and it's all right. And then once, they're, once I've done it on and off a few times, I might lead them with a little bit of pressure. I'll ask them to step forward around me while there is a little bit of pressure on the girth. And again, I repeat this to the left and to the right until my horse is walking normally and not sort of, you know, looking, you know, again, watching the eyes and ears, not looking back or stuck to the ground and frozen. Those sort of things would indicate a horse that is almost certainly gonna, gonna have a, a fight or flight reaction to the roller being on them. Once I've been through this process, saddle blanket on, roller on, both of which should go on relatively easy and your horse should be calm. And then I'll 
do the girth up on the roller. Now when I'm doing the girth up on the roller, I need to get it snug, but I do this to the horse's breath. So when I'm doing the doing it up, if I need to, I'll do it up till I feel it, feel a little bit of resistance. And then at that point, I try and get in time with my horse's breath. So as my horse breathes in, I wait. As they breathe out, and it makes more room around the girth, I just bring it up slowly like that until I get to a point where I know that it's snug and it's not going to move around on the horse. So now we have it on. It's snug enough to be to hold where, where I've put it. Now what I want to do is move away from my horse. So I'll move away far enough. If I've got a 12-foot line, I'll move to the end of the 12-foot line and then I'll ask my horse to step forward. Now for all the preparation you've done, still to this day, I can never tell whether the horse is going to just walk out of it or buck. Some I thought are going to go and really have a, have a good buck with the, with the um, roller on. They don't. Others who are half sleepy suddenly wake up and have a good old buck around. So you don't want to be too near your horse just in case something like that happens. If a horse does, again, I like to get my horse moving. But if a horse does buck, I don't try to push them through it initially. I actually stand a little bit in a position to sort of get them to stop. Because you have to remember when a horse bucks in, a, in the saddle or, or in, a, in a roller, they're, they're holding their breath. And this is really hard work for a horse. So I just, uh, if they do buck, they'll jump off and I'll just try to get them to stop. And you'll notice when they stop, they'll be have their back arch, they'll have their head down and they'll be holding their breath. Now, I'm not going to ask them to do anything until they start breathing again. And then I'll go back to lunging on my quarter circles. So they'll, they'll stop breathing, be in a position of bucking, and then the head will come up, they'll start breathing again. I'll give them a second and I'll ask them off again. And they'll probably repeat this for a circle, maybe a circle and a half before they start to travel forward and travel out of bucking. I like to do this because if I get on and the horse does think about doing that, they're likely to stop, hold their breath, and they're likely to start thinking about the process that we went through on the ground, which is the next thing I'm going to have to do is go forward. And if I keep breathing and going forward, it's much easier. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Again, not all horses buck, but it's better to be safe than sorry in this instance. After a few days, most horses, you can just pop the saddle on or roller on and they'll, they'll travel around without being too concerned. So we've got our kit on. Let's see what's next. Thank you, Jason. Next week, Jason will be back to talk about long lining and we'll review the week's news as normal. Our interview will be with Samuel Dahan, the show jumper who recently announced he was changing nationality from Egypt to ride for Britain. I'm really looking forward to listening to that one. Thank you for joining us on the Horse and Ham podcast. And if you're enjoying listening, please do rate, review and share the podcast in your podcast app to help more people find us. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.